Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, we're going to talk about something that I think is really, really important. And it's this, standing against deception and for biblical discernment. Now, discernment is a word that many, many Christians today, and I don't use that word lightly, they need to get a better handle on. But we need to ask the question, what is discernment? How does discernment relate to spiritual growth? We're going to talk a lot about discernment on the this episode. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22 says this, Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Testing everything according to Scripture is a call for discernment. In the context of very basic Christian commands, Paul says that discernment is vital to the effective, growing Christian life. Many Christians today, though, view discernment in the wrong way. They think that discernment is only the pastor's job that because the pastor, they reason, is to shepherd or watch over the life and the doctrine of the church. And this, this is true. The pastor is to watch his life and his doctrine and to shepherd the flock of God. Every pastor is to be skilled in handling the truth of God's word, and they are commanded in Titus 1.9 to refute error as well. But discernment, we need to say, is not only the duty of pastors and elders. The same careful discernment Paul demanded of pastors and elders is the duty of every Christian. First Thessalonians 5.21, it must be said, is written to the entire church to examine everything carefully. In fact, the Greek reads in First Thessalonians 5.21, examine everything, and the idea conveyed by the word carefully is included in the Greek word translated examine. Elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, this word is used to mean analyze, to test, uh, or to prove. And this word refers to the process of testing something to reveal its genuineness, such as the testing of precious metals. Paul wants believers to scrutinize every single thing that they hear according to the word of God, so that they can distinguish between what is genuine between what is true, what is false, to separate good from evil. In other words, Paul wants them to examine everything critically. And so the call in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is a call for doctrinal discernment. Well, if we remember one of the favorite verses of those who are against uh, any kind of discernment, they want to quote Matthew 7.1. After all, they say, don't, Jesus says, don't judge. And so if you're going to be discerning, then don't judge anybody because that goes against what Jesus says. 
But we need to ask the question, is that what Jesus meant by what he said? Did he mean that we're never, ever supposed to judge? And when we zoom back in the context, this is why we go back to context, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to a crowd of people. Who are the, who's in that crowd? Well, we don't know exactly who's in that crowd other than there was some religious leaders and, and people there. But the point is, is Jesus is talking about judging on a surface level. We need to ask another question. Was Jesus forbidding Christians from judging what is taught in his name? No, what Jesus is condemning here is the kind of hypocritical judgment of those who have a higher standard than what they're willing to live by. They, they say one thing, they live another. That's literally the definition, folks, of hypocrisy. It's play acting. It's doing. It's saying, you know what? One standard for, for this person and another for mine. That's hypocrisy. That, to use James' words, that's dub, being double-minded. Okay? It's being double-minded. Well, we also need to say, in Scripture, we're forbidden uh, to judge uh, others' motives or even attitudes. We're not able to do what Hebrews 4.12 says and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only God can judge the heart, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He, he's the one that can see it. And he alone knows the secrets of the heart, Psalm 44, 21. And so only he, Psalm 16, verse 2, can judge the motives therein. He alone, according to Romans 2, 16, will judge the secrets of men's hearts through Christ Jesus. And so scripture makes it very, very clear that the hypocritical judging and judging of others, thoughts and motives, it's not what Christians are to do. But throughout Scripture, we also need to say the people of God are urged to judge between truth and error, right and wrong, good and evil. In fact, Jesus himself says this in John 7, 24, judge with right judgment. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, saying, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourself what I say. God requires Christians to be discriminating when it comes to matters of sound doctrine. Remember, doctrine is teaching, and that teaching comes from the God's Word. In fact, Christians are to judge one another with regards to sin. That's in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. In fact, this speaks of the same process of discipline outlined by Jesus himself about church discipline in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And most importantly, every single Christian should examine themselves to see if they've judged rightly, according to 1 Corinthians 11.31, which says, if we judge ourselves truly, we ourselves would not be judged. And so this calls for every believer to search our own hearts. Paul calls for this self-examination every single time a Christian engages in the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11.28. The, the discernment Christians are called to is doctrinal discernment. And the testing of truth that Paul calls for here, it's not merely an academic exercise. It demands an active twofold response. First, uh, First Thessalonians 5.21 says, Hold fast what is good. And this echoes Romans 12.9, which says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. And so the, the expression hold fast or cling to speaks of jealously safeguarding the truth. 
Paul is calling for the kind of watchfulness that he demanded of Timothy every single time that he wrote to him. The truth is given into our custody. We are charged with guarding it against every single possible threat. And this describes, it describes a militant, a defensive, a protective stance against anything that undermines the truth or does violence in any way. We must hold the truth securely. We must defend it zealously. We must preserve it from all threats. We are to contend, Jude 3 says, right? Contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. To placate the enemies of truth, to lower our guard, is to violate this command. So hold fast. It carries the idea of embracing something. It goes beyond just that which is good. It speaks of loving the Lord with all that we are, those who are truly discerning are passionately committed to sound doctrine to the truth of god's word and to all that is inspired by god in his word every single christian should have this attitude of discernment in fact paul defines salvation as loving the truth in second thessalonians 2 10 he told the corinthians they prove their salvation by holding fast to the gospel they believed in first corinthians 15.2. And those who fail to hold fast to the saving message of Christ are those who believed in vain, that is, their faith was empty to begin with. And 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us. All true believers hold fast to the gospel because they are united to Christ by faith in his name. And Paul urged the Thessalonians to nurture, to cultivate their love of truth, to let it rule their thinking. He wanted them to cultivate a conscious commitment to the truth of God's word, faithfulness to sound doctrine, and a pattern of holding fast to all that is good in the word of God. And so this attitude it calls for, uh, calls for is incompatible with the suggestion out there today that, that we don't need doctrine. Remember, doctrine is teaching, and teaching comes from God's Word. And so the call to set aside doctrine for, for the sake of unity is ridiculous. This call, the call to abandon doctrine, it cannot be reconciled with the opinion that hard truth should be downplayed to make God's Word more palatable for unbelievers. It's contrary to the notion that personal experience takes precedence over objective truth. God has given his people his truth objectively in his word. And the word of God, is, it contains truth that we must stand upon at all costs. And this is the opposite of undiscerning faith. Paul needs no room here for rote tradition. He, he makes leaves no room for the blind, the irrational faith that refuses to consider the authenticity of its object. And just accept at face value everything that claims to be true. He rules out the kind of faith that is, that is driven by feelings, by emotion, by human imagination. Instead, we are to identify what is good by examining everything carefully, objectively, rationally, using Scripture as the standard for our faith and our practice. No human teacher, no personal experience, no strong feeling is exempt from this objective test in the Word of God. Experience and feelings do not determine what is true. Those things themselves must be subjected to the standard of Scripture. 
Paul's words, that which is good in 1 Thessalonians 5, is the truth that accords with the word of God. The word good is kaleos. It means something good. It isn't just something nice to look at, to, to behold. It, it speaks of something good in itself, something genuine, something noble, something true, something right. We're not talking about satisfying the flesh here. It refers to that which is good, true, accurate, authentic, dependable, that which is in agreement with the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of insufficient and binding word of God. After all, the other side of Paul's command is a negative response to evil. Abstain from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 The word abstain is a powerful word. It means to hold oneself back, to keep away from, to shun. It's the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Abstain from sexual immorality. In 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from the passions of the flesh. It calls for a radical separation from every kind of evil. And this includes, friends, evil behavior. In this context, it's speaking of evil teaching, false doctrine. And when you find something that does not line up with the Word of God, something that is untrue, something that is error, something that is contrary to the Word of God, the point here is you are not to believe it, you are not to receive it, you are to shun it, you are to reject it. In fact, let me, let me take this a little bit further. Scripture does not permit believers to expose themselves to evil. Some people believe that the only way to defend against false doctrine is, is to study it, become proficient in it, master all of its nuances, and so on and so forth, and, and then you're going to be able to refute it. Well, the only problem is, is when one immerses themselves in false doctrine, they're going to become influenced by it. Some Christians immerse themselves in philosophy, in entertainment, and the culture of society. They feel such a strategy will strengthen their witness to unbelievers. And so then our focus as Christians should be on knowing the truth. Error is to be shunned. We are to hold fast to Scripture alone. Now, believers cannot recede in, in, into the monastery to escape exposure to every kind of evil. That's not what I'm saying. But neither are we to be experts about evil. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. See, well, the point that I'm making here is, is that we too often first go to the air and then we go to the word. We need to be first grounded in the word. There's nothing wrong with with understanding uh, false doctrine in and of itself. There's, there's no problem uh, in, in, my, in my new book just out uh, in, in last month in August. I deal with arguments. And so I've read a lot of people who oppose a biblical, uh, biblical authority and what the Bible teaches on a, on a number of subjects. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you never study those things. I'm not saying that we don't deal with those things to offer a response and to contend for the faith. But I am saying this, that our first call, our primary allegiance, or, or, or the first and primary place that, that we should go is to the authoritative Word of God. We first need to read, and we need to study, and we need to meditate on the Word of God first. We need to know the Word of God. And, and this, what I'm about to say, will make a lot of sense because 
you know, a U.S. Treasury agent, they don't study fake dollar bills. They study the real thing. They look at the master, they, the, the master dollar. They know what it looks like, uh, the dollar bill. They know what it looks like. And so when they, f- so when they find bogus money, right, they're going to be able to recognize it. Detecting spiritual counterfeits requires the same discipline. Master the truth to refute the error. Study the truth. Hold fast to the faithful word. Then you're going to be able to exhort its sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Paul wrote, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul also rules out all mixing. This is syncretism. Syncretism is the practice of blending ideas from different religions and different philosophies. You know, there's lots of people I've witnessed to over the years, especially when I lived in Seattle, who said, I believe in Christianity, but I also believe in Islamism. I, I believe in this philosophy. I believe that there's many ways to God. That's the opposite, friends, of what Paul is commanding here. This is the wrong idea. It's, n- it's not... Whatever we believe that matters, it's whatever is true in the word of God. In fact, the only proper response to false teaching is to shun it. Erroneous doctrine is not a place to look for truth. Satan is subtle. He often sabotages the truth by mixing it with a little bit of air. Truth mixed with air is a, it's far more effective. It, it seems to go down a little bit easier, right? But it's, it's even more destructive. It's even more effective than a straightforward contradiction of the truth. You see, believers, Christians, dear Christian, we should use discernment with regard to what we listen to on podcasts, on radio, on television. By the way, if you're listening to TBN or, or uh, the Christian Broadcast Network or the 700 Club, I just want to plead with you to stop. If you're listening to Joel Osteen or Todd White or anyone, or Joyce Meyer or Beth Moore or any of those people, I just want to say, please stop. Stop. Stop it. What's wrong with you people, as R.C. Sproul would say? What's wrong with you? But seriously, we today have more information coming through our, our, uh, our smartphones, our iPads, our every single device at us every day. It is so easy, so easy to get information. The question you need to ask is, who's giving you that information? What kind of experience do they have? What kind of education do they have? Who are their favorite authors? Who are they influenced by? Ah, here's another question. Are they in a local, are they in a sound, biblical Biblically grounded, biblically practicing, biblical preaching. Do they have biblical elders or not? Do they have accountability? Or are they just some guy on the internet, some gal on the internet, offering their opinion with no accountability, no way to ask them questions. They have no sort of training, either formally or informally. They're just what I call a keyboard ninja. Friends, It is absolutely vital that you use discernment today as you listen to Christian radio, Christian podcasts, and Christian TV. If you don't use discernment, you're going to be a prime target for the doctrinal deception. That's why we're talking so much about discernment. 
And we're going to talk about a lot of air coming up here. And so it's it's important that we to take some time and pump the brakes a little bit. And we come back and we, we just have a conversation about some foundational things as well as we go. Because you know what? If you think everyone who appears to love the truth does, then you don't understand the wiles of Satan. 2 Corinthians 11, 14-15 says this, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is not a surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, Satan disguises his lies as truth. He doesn't openly go to war against the gospel. He's much more likely to attack the church with a subtle air. We're, we're seeing this again and again and again, he uses a Trojan horse strategy by placing teachers in the truth where Second Peter 2.1 says, can secretly bring in destructive heresies. He puts his lies in the mouth of someone who claims to speak for Jesus Christ. Someone likable, someone charismatic, somebody people will enjoy hearing from. And he spreads his perverse lies in the church where he can draw, they can draw Christ's disciples away. Remember the warning in Acts 20.30. There's going to be ravenous wolves that are going to try to take people away from Christ. These teachers attach Bible verses to their lies like, like Satan tried to do with Jesus. And Jesus quotes, no, it's written. That's how we stand on the word of God. We say, no, it is written. That this is what it says. This is what it means. This is how we deal with substance. We deal with arguments. We show how those arguments don't cohere with what Scripture actually teaches. We we show forth not only that we understand what the doctrine of Scripture is, it's God's special revelation, but also, guys, gals, we, because we have a right understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, we will rightly interpret Scripture. And that means that we deal with arguments that people have that oppose what Scripture teaches, and we deal with them by coming to the Bible, understanding what it is, and then interpret it rightly over and against those interpretations that stand against what the Bible means. You see, Satan uses deception. He uses hypocrisy. He uses falsehood as disguised as truth. He loves to mix and to blend. And this is why we see the Enneagram and yoga and on and on and on and the rise of the new age in the church today. It makes it look so good. It makes it look so appealing to us. But this is why Christians are to examine everything, and I mean every single thing, carefully. To shun whatever is unsound, to shun whatever is corrupt, to shun whatever is erroneous, because air is deadly. Millions in the church today are, are being overwhelmed by the Trojan horse ploy, calling for the integration of, of secular ideas with biblical truth, even, even supposed secular philosophy. Let's mix that with, with the Bible, and then let's counsel people with a secular approach to counseling with the Bible. No, friends, no. That undermines the sufficiency of Scripture. Others are being duped by the label Christian. 
They don't examine everything. They do not hold fast to the truth. They will not shun evil. And so they're vulnerable to false doctrine. They have no defense against theological confusion. That's why they're tossed every which way, by every wind, by every fad that comes along. Friends, we have good answers to those issues, and we have them in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul's clear teaching in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21-22, it cannot be avoided, it cannot be ignored. By the way, air was around in the early church. Dr. Moeller says the tragedy that evangelicals have lost the art of biblical discernment must be traced to a disastrous loss of biblical knowledge, he says. Discernment, he says, cannot survive without doctrine. Remember, doctrine is teaching. And what we're talking about is doctrinal discernment grounded in the Word of God so that we'll speak the truth in love. God gave us His Word so we would have a measuring stick by which to examine every spiritual or theological message that we encounter. I want you to be discerning on this podcast. I want you to test every single thing that you hear against what the Bible says. I want you, my those who listen and watch this show, I want you to have a biblical worldview. I want you to be grounded in the Word of God because the Bible presents its own worldview. But then I also want you to do to have something else. I want you to be able to see life through that let through the scripture coded lens to use Calvin's language or to use Carl F. H. Henry says, I want you to have a biblical worldview so that you can see the world through a biblical life view. So I want you not only to be shaped by Scripture, I want it to and to shape you, your character and your witness, but I want it, your worldview, to shape how you see life, how you make decisions. What kind of friends do you have? What kind of house do you buy? What kind of things do you do for enjoyment? And on and on and on. Because Why? Because God is concerned not just that you believe the right thing, but that the truth impacts your life. That's why, after giving those great instructions in Philippians 4, Paul says this in verse 9, practice these things. See, God is interested not only that we believe the right things, but he's also interested in our practice. And that, by the way, is just one passage among many. See, the goal in being discerning is not to be unloving. It's rather to preserve what James 3.17 says, first pure, then peaceable. Scripture makes it clear that this type of examination is loving as God's people are to think biblically and to exercise discernment. To do anything less is only going to result in spiritual anemia. And so the role of, of, of discernment in our growth in Christ, it's very clear. If you're not discerning, you're going to be led astray by every wind of false doctrine. And there's so, so many winds of false doctrine blowing out there in the wind. It will carry you out to the sea and you will drown. It is that serious today. Doctrine that comes from God's word, it matters supremely 
Because God gave us his word so that his people would know his son. And so this makes God's word supremely important to read, to study, to meditate, to learn from and grow in. And so discernment is tied to spiritual growth because without discernment, we cannot grow to be like Christ. And that is the goal for spiritual growth. So I'm praying as we go through this episode, as you encounter doctrinal teaching, that you would be like the, the, the Bereans, who according to Acts 17.11, they examine the scripture daily to see if these things were so. You see, every Christian should develop the ability to think rightly about the world from God's vantage point as revealed in his word. Every Christian should be like the Bereans of Acts 17 who examine the scripture to see what is true, what is false. And so as we move into this next aspect of this episode, I want to explain the essential issues and not every single one of them either, but some of the central issues that Christians should think about when choosing a church, buying a book, tuning into a sermon, listening to Christian radio or a podcast. In other words, I'm going to talk about those things that Christians should focus on in terms of non-negotiables when evaluating a Christian ministry, philosophy, or ministry program. And there's three basic doctrines that should motivate believers to build a basic doctrinal framework for discernment. And the first of these is a high view of God's word. The second is to have a high view of God's person. You see, obeying God is far more critical, Acts 5.29 says, than obeying any, any man. The allegiance of the Christian should be to the sovereign creator of the universe. And so the result of this is to please God, even if it displeases one's neighbors. The third is to have a high view of God's salvation and the gospel as revealed in the word of God. It's these three elements, a high view of God's word, a high view of God himself, a high view of the gospel that comprise the biblical framework for determining what hills Christian should die on. Because these three categories are of primary importance, every Christian should be careful to evaluate every single ministry, every single message that they hear through this theological grid. Whatever books you buy, wherever you go to church, how you respond to the sermons you hear, and with whom you associate, whom you minister, every single one of these things should be evaluated on the basis of what we're going to talk about now. So let's consider these three categories. First, a high view of God's Word. Well, it needs to be said, and it needs to be said again and again and again, and louder for the people in the back, that crucial to developing biblical discernment is to have a high view of Scripture. Scripture constitutes God's special written revelation to man. Without the Scriptures, we, we would know nothing about God's specific desire for man, about who they are and what they are, about sin and salvation, and on and on. We'd be unable to please the Lord, to know the Lord, to follow the Lord, being destined instead to spiritual ignorance, decay, and death. And yet God in his mercy revealed himself to us in the 66 books that constitute the word of God. It's for this reason God's word to the Christian should be like bread to a hungry man or like water to the thirsty deer. By keeping its commands, we keep ourselves pure. By following its guidance, we have a light for our path. By meditating on it, we find blessing and joy. By wrestling with the scriptures, we find our own lives being changed and even sanctified. It is our perfect guide and our ultimate authority because the scripture is the very word of God. 
Today, we, we see churches, we see sermons, we see books, we see articles that may claim to use the title Christian. But you see, if they undermine or even contradict the Word of God in any way, you can be certain they do not meet God's standard as revealed in the Word of God. In fact, sometimes these errors take people away from what God has taught, like the Jesus Seminar, which denies the historical authenticity of large portions of the Gospels. They would have you rip out parts of the Gospels. Other times, they, they add to what, the, what God has taught. For example, cult groups who place the teaching of their leaders on the same level as the Bible. In either case, Scripture itself responds with strong, strong condemnation. Revelation 22, 18-19 says, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Without question, then, maintaining a high view of Scripture is a hill that every Christian should die on. If God's word is undermined such that God himself is no longer given the final say, then guess what? The door is open for all kinds of error. A high view of Scripture is indispensable to the discerning Christian, and this high view must have three elements. Let me stop here real quick. You know, I don't often plug my book, but I do have a new book out. I've mentioned it before. My wife interviewed me on it. It is called The Word Matters, Defending a Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age. I, I want to plead with you to pick up this book from G3 Press uh, because it will help you. It will help you to learn not only what the doctrine of Scripture is, but also how the doctrine of Scripture is is under attack and how the church has responded to these issues but back to back to the episode and the the three elements that make up a right view of scripture first a proper view of scripture necessitates a full understanding and acknowledgement of the bible's authenticity namely that the bible is the inspired word of god scripture makes claims about itself in multiple places in the old testament Alone, the text claims to represent the very word of God over 3,800 times. And so then it's not surprising when we come to the New Testament, Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And despite these clear claims of scripture, contemporary Christianity as I just mentioned, is fraught with attacks on the inspiration, inerrancy, and fallibility of the Bible and the sufficiency of Scripture. Some claim that only parts of the Bible are inspired. Other, others suggest that inspiration, it doesn't refer to divine authorship, but instead to human intellectual achievement. So let's pat ourselves on the back. These are only futile attempts to deny that God himself stands behind every single word in the Old and the New Testament. It is at this foundational point that, that many so-called Christians condemn themselves to a perpetual state of confusion, doomed to, to wallow in the mire of man-made musings simply because they have rejected the true source of divine wisdom. True wisdom begins with the word of the Lord. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. 
unless unless one acknowledges that the Bible is the Word of God, we we forfeit we forfeit all possibility of learning discernment. Well, second, as we've talked about, a high view of Scripture must accept the accuracy and the inerrancy of Scripture. After all, if the Bible is God's inspired Word in every part, meaning that He is the author. Then it must also be truthful in every part, including the passages regarding science and history and geography, because God is a God of truth. Titus 1-2 says that God cannot lie. And so his character is tied to his word. And so the scriptures can be wholly trusted because they come from a God who can be wholly trusted. And this means that Genesis should be believed when it states that the world was created in, in six days and on the seventh day the Lord rested. It means that Adam should be accepted as a real human being who lived in real history, that the flood was a real global event, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by, by fire from heaven, that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, and even Christ and the apostles, they reflect this same attitude towards the Old Testament when they refer to Adam in Romans 5.14, Noah in Matthew 24, 37-38, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah in Matthew 10.15, and Jonah in Matthew 12.40 as historical figures. It's not enough to accept the scriptures as true in matters of faith and practice, but then to deny its truthfulness in matters of history and science. If the God of truth has spoken, and he has, no matter the subject, he has spoken truthfully. And here's the other thing. We have many people today who believe the Bible is only for their faith. But then you, then you ask, do you believe that the Bible is enough or sufficient for your practice? And then we look at even a recent poll, which we talked about now a number of months ago, which talked about the, the recent Gallup poll. And many Christians believe that the fairy tale and myth option of the Bible. And we, we have to ask, do we believe then then that the, that the scripture is sufficient for our faith, for our practice. Now, too often Christians accept false teaching because they trust the latest scientific or even the literary theories over the word of God. And in so doing, believers relinquish their ability to discern truth from error. Well, it's very simple. Why? It's because they've let go of the truth. Without which, they have no standard for discerning or deciphering what is what is wrong or false from what is right or what is true? You see, a high view of Scripture demands submission to its absolute authority. Because the Bible comes from God himself, because it reflects his perfect truthfulness, it bears his authority as a final say in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And because we submit to him, we should submit to his word through the power of his spirit. God should be our ultimate authority in discerning truth from error. This is why he gave us his word, by the way, so that we can know what he thinks about any topic and thereby know the truth and thereby, as Jesus said, sanctify them by, by the truth in John 17, 17, right? In fact, 2 Peter 1, 2-3, it indicates that the knowledge is given us in Scripture includes everything we need for life and godliness. This means that we don't supplant the Bible for human philosophy or ideas or, or analytical tools, nor do we need business principles to learn about successful church growth. God has given us his authoritative binding word on all matters, and it comes complete with everything that we need to live the Christian life completely. Those Christians who desire discernment should stop endorsing or even entertaining any teaching that undermines, it redefines, or even rejects the clear teaching 
of Scripture. You need to go to the Word of God to understand who God is and what He's like. Well, another critical idea that we need to understand is we need to have a high view of God. We need to understand who God is and what He's like. We need to understand questions about the Trinity, divine attributes, Christ's deity, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, on and on and on. We need to be grounded in the Word of God. And we've spent a lot of time in, in recent days talking about who God is and what, what He's like. And confusion about the doctrine especially of the Holy Spirit is as old as the church. But the discerning Christian is, is spiritually unaffected by heretical trends. He is like a tree firmly planted, Psalm 1-3, because his view of God, including the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is rooted in the doctrine of Scripture. And by letting God's self-portrait inform their thinking, the discerning Christian compares what they hear with what he knows to be correct. In other words, he refuses to replace a high view of God, one that's biblical, with any cheap substitute. But biblical discernment, very briefly, includes a third component. It's a correct understanding of the gospel. Well, the building on the previous two categories, the gospel answers the question for us. What must one do to be saved? This is the most important question that any of us could ever ask for. And we're living in a time when there is so much confusion about this. I can think of no better way to talk about this than to consider the first three chapters of Romans, which makes clear. We are, we are sexually depraved, we're morally depraved, we're ethically depraved, all, all of sin, and broken the law of God. And this is why we need the grace of God. And this is why Christ has come to pay the penalty in our place and for our sin. We are not to focus on our felt needs, first and foremost. We are to focus on what the Bible teaches and what it means. And when we do that, we will come away with a very clear answer to the question, as 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 very clearly tells us, why Christ came. He came, he bled, he died, he suffered, he rose, and he is soon returning. Praise the Lord. In an age of self-esteem, where self is on the throne, and it's all about me and how I feel, and on and on, we need to understand that it's not about any of that. We need to understand our sin so that we can rightly understand the grace of God revealed in the scriptures. Well, we need to briefly talk about mountains and molehills. We need to make sure that we understand the first three things, have a right view of scripture, a right view of God, and a right view of the gospel as revealed in the scriptures. Well, we need to ask the question, are there other hills that we should die on? Is It depends on the circumstance. Questions about the end times, about the church, about other areas of theology are, are still essential. Why focus on the Bible, the God, and the gospel? Well, the New Testament, as we've considered, is very clear about this. In fact, Peter discusses all three in the, in the first two verses of his second epistle, a letter that spends its time refuting false teaching. He begins with the right view of salvation, faith by the righteousness of Jesus. He moves on to a correct view of Jesus Christ as God our Savior and, and our Lord. He mentions a correct view of the Scriptures, the knowledge of God, a subject he unpacks in the rest of chapter 1, and on and on. And so we need to understand what the Bible is and what it means. Because as 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive into the obedience 
of Christ. So you might be wondering, how how do we do this? Well, the, the first way, very briefly, I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. The first one is to desire discernment. That means that you need to be grounded in the Word of God. You need to be hungering and thirsting for what God says in His Word. The desire for discernment is born out of a desire for humility, to be, to be taught the Word of God. That's why we need to be in the Word of God, and that's why the desire to be discerning, it entails a high view of Scripture linked with a passion for understanding it correctly. God requires this attitude of every single Christian. Because the heart that burns for Jesus will burn with a passion for discernment. Step two is prayer. Prayer follows naturally from desire. Prayer is the expression of the heart's desire to God. You know, we we need to understand what God says and to have our 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 prayers grounded and rooted and shaped by by the word of God. You see, discernment is not enough apart from obedience. We need to understand what Scripture says because it reveals who God is and what he's like and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to be doers of the word, as James 1.22 says. Be doers of the word and not only hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, the failure to obey is self-delusion. It's not true discernment, no matter how much intellectual knowledge we may possess. Fourth, in our step towards biblical discernment, we need to emulate those who have good discernment. Do not follow the leadership of those who are tossed to and fro by every which way. A, a pastor, an elder, is commanded in Titus 1.9 to refute sound doctrine and to teach what is in the Word of God. That is, they are models of, of, being, of, of speaking the truth in love and of standing opposed to false teaching. They are models of it. They are, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as, I'm imita- as, I'm, as we're imitators of Christ. That's what Paul means. He means to follow me as I follow Christ. Not to follow me because I'm going to lead you into error, but you follow your pastor. You follow that, that teacher as they follow Christ and as they are submitted to the Word of God. That's, what, that's what's so, so important. You know, today we're living in a time of great confusion. We're even seeing a number of popular authors and so on and so forth go slide down the the wayside. There have been outstanding men of discernment in every area of the church church's history. Their writings are invaluable. Men like Martin Lloyd-Jones and J. Gresham Machen are many in the past century who distinguished themselves in the battle for truth. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Hodge, scores of other writers from the 19th century, they left a rich legacy of written material that helped us discern the truth from error. In the century before that, Thomas Boston, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, battle for the truth, and on and on in the Puritan age, the 16th and the 17th century. On and on, the Reformers fought valiantly for the truth of God's word over and against all and every error. And on and on we could go. As important as human examples are, the Spirit of God is ultimately the true discerner, we must say. First uh, Corinthians 2.11 says, No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the, the Spirit of God. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2.12-15. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart... This in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And so discernment ultimately depends on the Holy Spirit. As we are filled with and controlled by the Spirit of God, he helps us in the area of discernment. Last point. True discernment requires a diligent study of the Word of God. No further steps are sufficient apart from this. No one can be truly discerning apart from mastery of the Word. All the desire in the world cannot make you discerning if you will not study and read the Scriptures yourself. Prayer or discernment is not enough. Obedience alone will not suffice. Good rule medals will not suffice. Even the Holy Spirit will not give you discernment apart from the Word of God. And so, if you want to be discerning, you must be in the Word of God. You must read it. You must study it. God's Word is where you're going to learn to be discerning. It's there you're going to learn the truth. It's there that you're going to grow into maturity. Discernment flourishes only in an environment of faithful Bible study and teaching. This is why 2 Timothy 2.15 commands us to rightly handle the Word of God. Dear friend, we are living in a time of great confusion and great deception. And so we're talking about discernment today. I'm talking about discernment to help you. Read the Word. Study the Word. Meditate on the Word. Apply the Word by the Spirit. Do life with God's people. Sit under sound, biblical, expository preaching where, from a pastor and elders who have a good understanding of the doctrine of Scripture because that will affect how they interpret the scripture. And you want your pastor to have a high view of God's word. You want him to have a, a high view of God, as we talked about. You want him to have a right understanding of the gospel. Because what this is going to do is it's going to affect the church. It's going to affect how they worship. It's going to affect how they preach. It's going to affect how they love. It's going to affect how they minister to you. You know, there's there's so much that, that we could say about these things. And we're going to come back to this. But for now, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Equip You and Grace. Until next Monday and Wednesday, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.